Well, good evening, church family. It's uh, time for us to begin our Bible study, uh, and thank for that all of you are here tonight. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for being so kind to us and patient. Yet another day you've allowed us to live. It's because of your time and your reason, but we know that any day at any time you will return. And Lord God, we welcome your return and look forward to it. We ask, Lord God, that you'll bless us to make good use of our time while we're here on the earth and help us, Lord God, to, um, to honor you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, be thy will. Amen. Okay, we're going um, to uh, back to Exodus uh, tonight, chapter 12, because as we're thinking about studying um, God's Word, we're going to look at some introductory guidelines to, uh, to getting us into this, uh, you know, how to study and understand the Scriptures. So one of the things that we've got to remember uh, and think about would be laws and commands. Whether, whether they're generic or specific. And in a world in which, you know, today where people don't really like to follow rules, <laughs> uh, it's going to make it kind of hard for them to really accept what the Bible uh, has to say. And so uh, when we think about a law or a command, a law and a command, does, it does two things. It's both inclusive and exclusive. So it includes the thing which it's stating or commanding, and it excludes all things not mentioned. So... When you're in a Bible study and someone says, well, what about this? If it's not mentioned in the command or the law, then it's excluded. It It doesn't matter. I'll give you some examples of that here in just a moment. Well, I'll give you one example starting out. The Lord's Supper. Um, We take, there's the unleavened bread and grape juice. Can we substitute? Well, I was at a church that said you can't. I remember being at a church one time. Um, It was a denomination. uh, It was on a Tuesday night of study or Thursday. I don't remember. And um, the the preacher, we were talking about communion, and I, I, I don't know, I brought the, the conversation up, and the preacher said, well, you know, communion, we don't use unleavened bread, we use um, rolls, like dinner rolls, and I was like, well, well, why do you use dinner rolls? Why wouldn't you, well, I, you know, I was kind of baffled, and then she said, well, because she unleavened when you have when you have a, a bread that has no leaven and it has no life you have to have bread that has life because Jesus lives and I was like wow what a good stretch but that doesn't work <laughs> right um, but the point that she was making was the Bible didn't say you couldn't use bread with life in it or leaven and I said well it doesn't really have to say that because a law command from God as well as an approved example, all of that in the scriptures, uh, e- even a necessary inference, if you want to call it that, um, shows that this is the Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and carrying it from the Old Testament into the New Testament, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, they were using unleavened bread, and we're to use what they used and follow the commands of God. Oh, none of that matters today. Because Jesus is gone, but he's alive. So, uh, we, we have to know how to how to to answer questions like that. That's one of the simpler ones. Cause anyone would say, we would say, well, that's obvious, right? But it gets a little deeper than that when you're studying with other people, um, where they bring up other things that are not mentioned in the Bible, and then they don't know how to handle it. You know, is it, how, how do you deal with that? And sometimes you have to find a principal verse and go from there. Well, let's look real quick. Exodus 12 and verse 8. 
They shall eat the flesh that same night, roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So here's the foundation of the Passover, right? The Passover, the Passover lamb, uh, and then Jesus Christ later on. Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off. From Israel, verse 17. You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought you host, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe the day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. So now we have we have a, uh, an ordinance from God. It's unleavened bread. In Matthew 26, they're up in the um, uh, per- participating in the Passover. Um, there was preparation made to prepare for the Passover, to eat in a certain location for the Passover. So we find the Old Testament command carried over into the New Testament, just like the, the Ten Commandments, right? We don't follow the Ten Commandments. Well, how, how do we say that as, as God's people? What, what does it mean we don't follow or live by the Ten Commandments? Well, because, you know, you can't murder today and et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, we don't. We don't follow or live by the Ten Commandments. We live by the commandments renewed by Jesus in the New Testament, of which nine of those commandments are carried over into the New Testament. Now, here's the difference. The difference is, if we live by the Ten Commandments and and follow the Ten Commandments, remember that quite a few of those commandments have death penalties attached to them. So that we do that part as well. You know, then all of a sudden the whole argument ends, right? Uh, then, well, we don't really do that, but we do... No, well, you can't. You cannot pick and choose, right? Either you follow it and live by it or you don't. We do not follow or live by the Ten Commandments. We live by the commandments that Jesus gave to us, brought over into the New Testament. Uh, and those commandments, nine of them are found written in the New Testament. And the tenth, uh, which is really the seventh commandment, uh, sixth commandment, excuse me, the... Um, the, um, what is it, day of rest, the Sabbath day, our Sabbath rest is not on earth, it's in heaven. So they carry all the way through, but we get it in heaven. And thank God for that. And that's a, another time for another study. But, you know, you have to find the, find the Old Testament principle, the teaching. It carries over into the New Testament beautifully over and over again. Matthew 26 and verse um, 17. It's really important to have Scripture to back you up, right? If you don't understand a topic or a subject, and maybe you understand a little bit, but not you don't have your Old Testament foundation. Um, you might want to hold off and come back to it. Right? What I like to do when I'm studying with someone is um, I let them talk and talk and talk until they, they make um, enough statements to where I've got enough information to where now I can build in the Bible study. Right? And that really helps a, a lot. It makes it a lot easier, actually. Uh, verse 17. Now, the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to prepare to, for you to eat the Passover? And so where did the idea of the Passover and the unleavened bread come from? Well, we just read it. It's in the Old Testament carried into the New Testament. And Jesus takes the Old Testament Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and carries it to the Christians, but is not called the Passover as a Christian or uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is the Lord's Supper because Jesus now in verse uh, 26, institutes something a little bit different 
but it carries the same principle. And that is that he is the Passover lamb, literally, um, if you will, through faith. Verse 26, And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. That was not spoken of in the Old Testament. He changes the, the law, if you will, the principle, the understanding of what the Passover is for God's people today. And so, uh, so the command is found in the Old Testament, carried into uh, the New Testament, and we find not only the command, the statement, the approved example, and the necessary inference, everything's implied. It's all right here in, from old all the way carried into the new, and then we emulate those things. Everything else is excluded. So when someone asks, well, can we have, can we have pop? Can we have this? Can we have, everything else is excluded, right? Uh, and that's really important. But you've got to have Bible, right? Turn to Mark 16. Show you an easy way. Well, I'm sorry. Let me say it in this way. Uh, an easier way, maybe, of dealing with Mark 16 when you're dealing with people that go to this passage to, um, oddly enough, teach that baptism is not uh, essential to salvation. Verse 15 and 16, uh, the command says, uh, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So uh, you probably have heard the argument, um, He who uh, is disbelieved shall be... But it doesn't say, He who doesn't believe and is not baptized. I heard that, you know, a ton of times, you know. Um, so how do you deal with that? Well, you ask them, have you obeyed the first command? Let's go to the first command, and then we'll talk about the second command. And the first command is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the creation. He who has believed and is baptized. Have you, have you done that part that Jesus Christ has commanded? Have you, have you heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and been baptized? And then they'll say, well, no. Say, so, well, you can't go to the second part of the command until you first fulfill the first. Right? You've got to fulfill the first before you jump to the second. You cannot skip over the second part of the command uh, or statement of Jesus without first fulfilling the first. Right? So obviously, the commandment is to baptize those who believe, but the command also states you do not baptize those who disbelieve. Right? He that believes and is baptized um, shall be saved. He that disbelieves, that's the one you do not have the right to baptize into Christ or God. So that eliminates baptizing children, right? Babies, you know, those who don't have the age of understanding, those who can't figure, that can't understand it, those who are agnostics or atheists, unbelievers. I mean, it, it, you don't baptize any of those people. Uh, and so uh, the, the command makes it clear. It's both inclusive and it is exclusive for us. Um, so then you take that idea of what's inclusive, what's included and what's excluded and you remember scriptures like Revelation 22, um, and you think about Revelation 22, and the Bible says, "Don't add, a, don't subtract from uh, from the, this book." Now, contextually speaking, an individual is right when they say, "Well, that only applies to the Book of Revelation." Um, and you'll hear that; I'm sure you've heard it many times over. Contextually speaking, we'll get the context later, but but it also applies holistically to the Bible because it's found consistently um, from a foundational standpoint in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Verse uh, 18 and verse 19. It says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in 
this book. If anyone takes away from the words of, uh, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life uh, and from the holy city, which are written in them. And so, yes, contextually speaking, the, the greater context is the whole Bible, uh, but the book context is the entire book. Well, how do we know that? We've got to find the Old Testament mate or match. We've got to find the consistency of the Word of God from the Old into the new. So let's go back to, um, I either have Deuteronomy or Proverbs written next. Deuteronomy 12 is the one I have written down first. And verse 32. I'm just going to do three of these. Just there, there are quite a few of them in the scriptures. But verse 32 says, Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add or take away from it. So that, that's pretty clear, right? It's in the Old Testament. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 30, verses uh, 5 and verse 6. Again, we're looking for the Old Testament match. Now, let's think about this as well while we're turning there. If we do what God says, like God says it, we won't find ourselves in situations like Nadab and Abihu. You know, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire to the Lord. What made it strange? It was something God had not authorized, right? It was strange to God because God and not authorized it. God gave us examples. First um, Corinthians 10 and verse 11, he says, these things I've given to you as an example. And he lists a bunch of things that Israel did that were incorrect or, or wrong. And then Romans tells us, chapter 15, the Old Testament leads us to Jesus, right? And then Galatians 3, the Bible tells us that the Old Testament is a tutor, right? So you got to have the tutor to understand the New Testament. And the Old Testament is that tutor. But Proverbs 30, verse 5 and verse 6, what you don't do to the tutor is you don't add or take away from it, right? Okay, verse 5. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. And so certainly we just, we just, we don't do that, right? Take God's word, allow God to speak, and then we follow God's word the way God has asked us to. Let's turn to Matthew 28, another familiar um, verse. Let's look at generic and specific terms within the idea of laws and commands. So, so when when we're thinking about laws and commands, this is where we uh, we might say a lot of our doctrinal uh, thoughts or ideas come from. And we'll look at we'll look at instrumental music in a, in a moment. Um, I'm, I'm not going to teach on instrumental music because that takes you know a long study, but it's a great study. It's an in depth study. Um, did they use instruments in the Old Testament in worship? Yep, sure did. Did they use it in praising God? Yes, they did. Um, did you even find a verse in the Bible where God commanded instruments in the Old Testament? Yes, there is. Um, that has nothing to do with that has nothing to do with playing instruments in the church. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll get to that study at some point. But that's really important to, to know that because when you know that, uh, once I was in a debate, um, we we're studying instrumental music and. Um, the two scriptures that they told me in the debate that I, I signed off and agreed to in the debate is I would not use Colossians uh, 3, and I would not use Ephesians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 19. We'll look at those scriptures in a moment. And I said, I wasn't going to use them anyway. <laughs> I don't need those scriptures to prove to you we don't use instruments in the New Testament church. Uh, those are beautiful filler scriptures that would help, but we don't need those two scriptures uh, for that. So I will read those in just a second. First, let's look at generic terms. So when you read the scriptures... And you're reading Matthew 28 and verse 19. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a generic command because God says go, but he doesn't tell you how to go. So in other words, you can, you can fly an airplane, you can, uh, you can ride your bicycle, uh, you can walk, you can drive a car. But if God specifically said go uh, and he tells you to walk, then anything else would have been a violation of that command. Does that make sense? Right? Okay? So it's just, it's just simplifying things, but you have to have these consistent rules uh, all the way through as you're studying, so that way you allow God to speak instead of me speaking to God. And what I mean by that is sometimes we read a verse, and because we've heard a certain teaching, when we read that verse, we think about the teaching and not listen to what Jesus is actually saying, right, or the Bible is actually saying. So it's really important that we, when we read the Scriptures, we take our minds for just a moment, we, we step away from um, what we've learned and we make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying in that verse first. And then we can apply later ideas to it. If not, we'll get ourselves into trouble later when we start digging deeper into that study. Right? And you'll find there's some, some conflict. And then later you realize the conflict is not with God. The conflict is really with me. Because I'm, I'm prejudging the text. Because I've heard it all of my life. And... Um, that's why I try to say to, to everyone, all of us, we don't, when you're talking to people in the world, um, make it clear to them that we do not preach or teach Church of Christ doctrine, right? Because they, you know, they'll always say, oh yeah, you're those people, you're the five-finger people, you know, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Um, say, no, we're the six-finger people, actually, because after you get baptized, you've got to stay faithful, <laughs> you know? Um, or you're, you're the ones that believe you're the only ones going to heaven. You know, you hear all these kinds of Statements go, well, I don't, personally, I don't teach Church of Christ doctrine. I just teach Bible doctrine. Let's take a look and see what the Bible says. And prayerfully, what the Bible says is exactly what we in the Church of Christ believe. And if it isn't, we'll change. So let's go take a look. And uh, at least it opens their eyes to, or heart to understanding sometimes when they're that hard-hearted. Okay? So back to this, you know, following generic and specific commands. Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Remember the temptation of Jesus. And while he was being tempted, he made this statement to Satan, and, um, and, and every, every church believes this statement. It's a very ambiguous statement, but, it, but it's really not ambiguous at all when, you, when, you're, you know, when you're putting the Scriptures in properly. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God uh, and serve him only. So, all right. So now do we have then a free-for-all in worship. Right? Because if you think about it, he doesn't say how to worship. He just says you need to worship. So we get into this conversation with people in the world, and, and they'll use scriptures like this and back in the Old Testament about praising God. And they'll say, well, we're going to praise and worship God. And so, so that's where you have uh, usually your instruments and, and your, your dancing and all the things that you could think of that would be considered praising and worshiping God. So that would be the immediate context. But now we need a greater context, right? Because we need to answer the question, when Jesus said that, is it any kind of worship? Or is there a specific type of worship that is acceptable to God that Jesus refers to when he's talking to Satan? And the answer is yes, there's a specific type of worship. Now, I'm only going to go to one verse. We would have to use a ton of them. But one verse really tells us there is a specific type of worship. John 4. And in verse 24, that we must follow, here's a specific command 
that uh, follows or uh, clarifies the generic command that Jesus gave. The, the generic command that he gave to Satan that follows to all, which is consistent in the Old and New Testament, is to worship God and worship God only. So the Old Testament you'll read, and it says don't, don't worship idols. It does not mention every idol, but the idea, understanding is you don't worship any idols, right? And then you follow this, this clarity all through out the Old Testament. When we get into the New Testament, Jesus says to Satan, worship God and him alone. John 4 and verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him, here's the command, must worship in two ways, in spirit and in truth, right? So the first part of it, you know, means you don't, don't come here, don't, don't come here without the spirit, right? That's the first part. Um, probably not a place we go to sleep. You know, I mean, I, I get it. As we grow older, I'm not talking about that. I, that's one of those things. But I'm talking about those that have the ability um, to come and worship. And we're supposed to come ready to worship, right? So there's a lot of preparation to be done before we get here to the building, right? And then once we get to the building, we come in this, into the, the building. Now, is the building holy? No. The building's not holy, right? We're not even talking about We can worship under a tree. But whatever our place of worship is, okay, uh, we come there with the proper mindset when you arrive. So that's the spirit part. The second part is, what's the second one? Truth. Okay, so now we got to look for what is the truth from God when it comes to worship. So now we have to do our research and find out all the truths, everything that will be inclusive in God's command to worship. What are all the truths regarding worship? And then we start going down the list and we implement all of the truths that are involved in worship. Everything else is excluded. We just have the truths. The Bible is not going to give us all the things you can't do. Like, you know, one, one thing you'll never find in the Bible is, do not smoke cro- uh, crack cocaine. It's not in there. Does that mean it's okay? <laughs> no, right? You say, well, well, it's obvious. Well, no, it's not obvious to a lot of people. I mean, you know, they just, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't do it. How many times have you heard that? Well, the Bible doesn't say you can't do it. Well, it doesn't have to say you can't. It's not filled of all the do's and don'ts. It just says things like, do your body no harm. It says the Holy Spirit's in you. Don't destroy the body. There's so many things it says generically that, that excludes everything else in the sense of the physical. All right. Let's go to Colossians uh, chapter 3. And I'm sorry I'm running through this. I just, there's a lot of material to cover, and I, I don't want... So I don't want you to get bored. I want you to hopefully gain something from this, this study. Colossians 3.16 and 17, great scriptures. Um, you don't, you don't, and, and you want to use them when it comes to the argument, if you will, the discussion of instrumental music and worship, but they're not really that necessary, but they're great scriptures. Um, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell. So watch how simple this one is. Where? Within, right? You see, ever see a woman with a trumpet inside of them or a drum inside of them, a drum set? You know, it's within. We're not talking about external things, right? So if we're not talking about external things, you don't leave, the rest of the verse obviously is inclusive in the idea of what's, in, what's within, right? So what is within? What, what's within is the heart and the soul, the soul of man. So dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing with one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Everything's within. There's nothing external in that verse. Everything's internal, right? Now, that's consistent with the Old Testament. 
Okay? Um, i got to remember my scripture now. Uh, Ezekiel 28, I believe it is, verse uh, 13-ish. Um, it talks about the fact that God, and you may have to look at your footnote. Um, your footnote might be the, the one where it talks about your internal parts. Your, we use the word uh, tambourines or flutes, right? You use your tambourines or flutes to God. And the actual verse is saying, uh, it's talking about your vocal cords, right? You look at your, your footnote should, let me go look at that. Well, since I said go there. Um, where did I say go? Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel 28. Uh, let me, it's not on the, sorry, it's not on the screen, uh, folks. So just kind of add a bunch of things in here. Um, so in your footnote, so the, contextually, we're talking about Tyre. We're not talking about um, Satan and all that, as people say. But anyway, we're talking about the king of Tyre. And it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets. So right there, your virgins may say something a little bit different, but it's talking about your internal parts that God placed within you, was in you on the day that you were created. They were prepared. And so God's kind of music is within Okay, now we go back to the Old Testament, and we can start studying that, and I can show you that over and over and over again. I can show you the, the I can show you everything about that text and that understanding from the very beginning. And when we study instrumental music in the old in the uh, the Bible, we'll go all the way back to the Old Testament and begin to study. And it's a thrilling study, uh, especially when you really start getting into it. It is a very powerful, powerful, powerful uh, study that's beautiful. God doesn't need you to bring a trumpet to worship him or a drum set. You know, think about that. The, the uh, catacombs, when the Christians were hiding from Rome, um, why didn't they have a drum in there or a piano, an organ? Or well, don't, You can't say they didn't have musical instruments. We know they did, right? They're in the Old Testament, way back in the book of Genesis. So it's not that they didn't have the technology. They didn't have it for a reason. Um, anyway, they never used instruments anyway. In the New Testament church, after the apostles were dead and gone for many, 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 many centuries way later. But today it's been so accepted, like so many other things, that the church brought it in. And most of our members, sadly enough, don't even know why we don't use instruments of music in our worship. Um, but we should know. You should know all of that. We have, we'll have to study that. Um, look at Ephesians 5 and verse 19. So you can go back and, and play around with Ezekiel um, 28 a bit. Um, Ephesians 5 and verse... 19. I, I, have the, I have the desire to say, well, let's just talk about it, but let's, let's not. I don't want to mess that study up because I don't want to leave out some really important things that we will really gain a big, um, a great, great ground in in our, in our study when we get to that. Um, okay, speaking to one another. Well, how do we speak? We use our vocal cords. So it's internal, isn't it? Everything that follows in this text is etern- internal. Okay, speaking to one another um, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in, within your heart to the Lord. So, put an instrument in your heart, and what happens? We die physically, right? So we're not talking about that. Everything's within. And so when you, when you look at that, those scriptures, you understand that the command is not uh, to make music. The command is to sing. The command is to speak. So if the command is to sing and speak, they're both audible 
uh, a command that uses the, uh, uh, the audible portion of an individual where you can speak out words of intelligence, of intellect, right? And help people to grow in Christ, encouraging them in one way or another. And the text, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, make that really, really clear and gives us then um, an excuse or the reason that when we come to worship, we don't sing like this. Blessed be the name of Jesus. No, you sang, right? Lift up your voice and let it go, right, for God. Let it, you have to really, the idea is to encourage the brethren. Now, let's, let's think about that. Let's think about the command. Do we find ourselves sometimes um, disobeying the command personally, privately? Well, yeah. Sometimes we don't really sing, right? And the purpose of singing is to lift someone else's spirits. So when we come here, we should all lift our voices to encourage one another. And you got to admit, good singing is a good thing, right? I mean, but if we come here and it's like, nah, 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 nah. people aren't people don't want to hear that. They want you to sing, right? God wants us to sing. So the, anyway, that's probably too far into that. But the command is to sing and uh, speak, not to not to make music, and that's really important with that idea. So we're talking about these these commandments from God that over the years um, and really not that long it's not been long they've been instruments in uh, a church assembly even in the churches of Christ uh, but we found ways around God's commandments and so those are traditions right I'm going to show you what Jesus says turn to Mark chapter 7 he gives us this um, he teaches us what, what we already do but don't like to admit that we do it, right? So part of the, part of the uh, argument sometimes when it comes to certain doctrine in the church is um, we, we've gotten into this. Well, that's not a salvation issue, so it doesn't matter. The other one is, well, that's just a tradition carried over time, and so it really doesn't matter. So then we should, or maybe it would behoove us to look at the Bible and say, okay, what is a tradition and what is, what is a, um, uh, a commandment? Or um, what is a salvation issue? Call it that. I'll do that quote. Okay. And what is not a salvation issue? Right? My first question is, when did Jesus separate salvation and non-salvation issues out? So why should we? That, let's just kill that one. Okay. Now, what if, but he did weed out tradition and commandment. The commandments of God and the traditions of men. Can, are we allowed to bind a tradition? Absolutely not. Now, I'm not saying tradition is bad. Some tradition is really good. But traditions are not doctrines from God. It's just something we do. And if people decide, well, we don't want to follow that, then that's okay, right? That you don't have to follow a tradition. You have to follow a commandment, a commandment from God. I'm talking about external traditions, meaning things that are outside of the Bible. Like Someone might say, well... I believe that if you have, uh, well, so the latest one for us would be chairs and pews, right? Well, I believe we got to follow the old ancients, and we need to have good old hard pews uh, in the worship because it keeps you alert and keeps you awake because uh, your back hurts, right? Uh, you know, okay, it, uh, well, great, it does do that, but is it a commandment from God to have pews as opposed to chairs? Does God really care where we sit? Well, no, he doesn't, right? Uh, that would be a, a tradition. It cannot be binding 
and yet there are some congregations that have split over chairs and pews, right? Or the color of the carpet, or, you know, do we meet in a building or a house? God never said. He, he, you find them both in the Scriptures. They meet in the synagogues. They met in houses. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The command is not where you meet. The command is your worship, <laughs> right? That's the command. Okay, so the, the tradition part is where Jesus speaks. I want to go to verse Mark 7, verse 9. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. See the first problem? You know, because if the commandment of God violates tradition, what happens then? Well, now we've got an uproar, right? I mean, now we have a problem because you're telling me that what my good old family has done for the last, you know, 25, 30 years, 100 years, whatever, you're trying to tell me it was wrong? Well, that would be wrong for me to tell you that what your family has followed for the last 20, 40, 100 years is wrong unless the commandment says so. Because then it's no longer, it's no longer a tradition. Now it's a violation of God's command, right? And so then I am not only authorized through the Scriptures, or should I say the Scriptures have authorized the conversation. Maybe that's a better way of putting that. So Jesus said that these folks, you know, the uh, followers of God, were setting aside the commandment of God in order to follow their tradition. And so he said, they said, well, let me teach you a way. So this is what the scribes and Pharisees, the leaders of the day, and I would even go further than that. Just, just good old family members would teach their, uh, not, maybe not mothers to their children, but maybe mothers to other children, um, of how to get out of following God's commandment and call it a tradition to get away from doing what God wants. So here it is, verse, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by is Corbin, that is to say, given to God. So here's what you do. So you got a, you got a, a dollar, and your mom or dad needs that dollar, and you don't really want to give it to them. So you say, Mom, I know you really need this, but... This, this is Corbin, meaning this dollar is dedicated to God and for the purpose of God. So I can't give you that. Now, they don't give it to God either. But, you know, let me just keep the argument over here. I, I can't give you that. Um, and mom and dad would say, oh, if it's, if it's uh, dedicated to God, if it's Corbin, then I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even ask for it. Please keep it for yourself. So, and that's a, a simple analogy. It was, it was undeniable. It's what they were doing um, consistently. But listen to what Jesus goes on to say, verse 12. You no longer permit them to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So, now we've got to ask ourselves, all right, are there things in my life that when I study the scope of history, they're not in the Bible. 
But we do them out of tradition. Have you ever looked into those traditions to make sure that what you're doing is unscriptural? Well, no, because I don't really care. Because it's a tradition, and I like doing it. Be careful how you follow tradition, right? That's a whole other study within itself. That's kind of an argument one. Our lives have to be aligned with with what what the scriptures say, right? We want to follow as many of the commands as possible. We have to recognize that when you come to Christ, there are sacrifices that you have to make, right? You got to count the cost. You uh, is going to come to Christ. Count the cost before you make a move. You know, uh, be willing to die for Jesus. Be willing to lose your life to gain the life of God. Is there anything in this life that is worth? Um, you missing heaven for? Absolutely not. Unless it's Corbin. <laughs> right? Then I can do it a little bit. Substitute. And by the way, no substitutes either. Right? It's either, it has to be all God in our lives. Now, someone says, well, that, that's radical living. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> you know, you're either hot or cold. He didn't say be lukewarm. Oh, I guess he did say that. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. God wants hot Christians. Right? Not lukewarm Christians. Right? He says, look, I'd rather you be cold. And this is, Christians hate when you say this. You start talking about this, you know. But he says, I'd rather you be cold. Just don't even mention my name. Don't pray to me. Don't talk to me. Just, just go. And then you'll come back, maybe, hopefully. Won't get too far out there. Just go. You do more harm as a lukewarm Christian than you would as a cold Christian, right? Uh, young, young boy was, uh, in, we're going to Isaiah uh, 34. Uh, young boy was in school, in college. He asked his father before he went to college if his father would help him out. And his father said, well, I'll think about it, and I'll get back with you. The father never got back with him. The boy graduated college. Um, you know, he was in debt. Um, his father was on his, on his deathbed. Um, so this is many, many, many years later. He struggled uh, throughout life because of his college debt. And the young boy wanted to talk to his father about it. Uh, and he said, you know, Dad, I, you're dying, and I'm still angry at you, and I, just want, I want you to know this before you die. And that is, uh, you know, you really, you really let me down, Dad. I mean, I, you know, I, my life has been in shambles. It's been upside down. I have struggled all my life. And I didn't have to struggle. If you would have just helped me just a little bit in college the way I asked you to. And, Dad, you just, Dad, you never did. And I, don't, I just want to know why. And now you're dying. What, what else do you have to lose, Dad? Just tell me. And the father said, the answer all this time has been in your Bible. And the, and the young boy said, you know, Dad, you know, I'm tired of hearing that. You know, you keep pointing me to God, but you're not giving me real direction. And you're using God as an excuse and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And then the father said, son, the answer you're looking for is in your Bible. And the argument continued. And the boy left and he was angry and upset. And he gets home and he, you know, he sees his Bible. And he goes, you know, this is Bible he hadn't opened up since he was age about 16, 17. grabs the box, opens the box up and says, yeah, okay, old man, fine. You know, he pulls it out <laughs> and there's all that money. It was a check his father had written that would have taken care of his entire life. But you know what the little boy never did? <laughs> young boy, young man, he never read his Bible. He didn't go to church. You know what it's like, right? You graduate high school and you leave home and then you quit God, <laughs> right? I don't say quit church because church of the people kind of can't quit that. Quit God. Just leave. And, and so, sad for him, right? Um, but the reality is, we can't allow tradition to uh, 
uh, get in the way of the doctrine of God that he teaches us. Okay, we need to, we need to move on. Isaiah 30, uh, 34. So this is important. Uh, verse 16. Seek from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these will be missing. Not one will lack its mate. For his mouth has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. So we know for a fact, based on the scripture, that God is telling us. Turn to John 3 in verse 14. I don't want time to run out. I want to make one point, and then if I, I don't want to start it and not be able to finish it. John chapter 3 and verse 14. Everything you're looking for is going to be in the Old Testament and the New. Okay? In principle, it's going to be in the Old and the New. It's going to be combined together. You're going to get a great depth of foundation from the Old, and you're going to get a New Testament understanding in the New. John three fourteen, And as Moses was uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up. What was he referring to? Numbers 21. Right? Let's go back there. Numbers 21, verses 6. You'll find so many times when you read the New Testament, look at, think about as you're reading, maybe write with a pen, how many times the Bible says, as it's written, as it's written, or as so-and-so said. They're referring back to the Old Testament over and over again. Numbers 21, verse 6, Jesus speaks to this very, very difficult time uh, in Israel where the serpents were biting people and killing them, sent by God, right? And able to look up to this bronze serpent, which is an interesting study within itself, because why would God tell you to look to a serpent instead of looking at him but it's a whole nother study verse 6 says and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died so the people came to Moses and said we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us and Moses interceded for the people then the Lord said to Moses make a fiery serpent and set it up on a standard and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that any uh, serpent bit any man, he who looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So, obviously, it's speaking of Jesus, right? So, okay, John chapter 3. Got it. How does that relate? Well, I know you know the answer already, so I don't have to spend uh, time on that. But it's an Old Testament passage that refers to Jesus being lifted up. Um, uh, from the earth, suspended between heaven and earth, and it was talking about salvation. This connection. Now, I know people say, well, this doesn't really connect, but I'm going to show you. It, it does connect, and, you, and it just, you just can't get around it. John 3, 5, salvation. Truly, truly, I say to you, uh, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is the water and what is the Spirit? Right? Water and the Spirit. You've got to have both. Water and the Spirit. Water. There's this connection. Only John makes this connection. So John says water and the Spirit. Jesus says water and the Spirit. Look at John 19 and verse uh, 34. John 19 and verse 34. He says, uh, speaking of Jesus on the cross, uh, but one of the soldiers uh, pierced his side with the spear, and immediately there came out both, uh, what? Blood and water. So now we, okay, we, got, we got the water. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. All regards of salvation, right? Jesus said, water and the Spirit, in John chapter 3. What came out of Jesus? The water and the blood. So we got the water, the blood, and the Spirit. John pulls it all together. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll, get, we'll uh, hurry up and end this. 1 John chapter 5, speaking to the church, uh, he says to them, beginning at verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood, and is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the water and the, uh, excuse me, the spirit and the water and the blood, 
and the three are in agreement. In other words, they're inseparable. You can't separate the water from the blood from the Spirit. So when someone says, I want to be saved, you've got to have the water, the blood, and the Spirit. The only way you're going to get, uh, have the Spirit is through the water. You've got to get baptized. When you get baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to get it. John uh, 14 and 16 says, the world cannot have the Holy Spirit. So the only way you gain the Holy Spirit is through baptism. That's the water and the Spirit. And the only way we're saved is by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way you get the, water, the blood of Jesus is in the water. So baptism brings the water, the blood, and the Spirit together as one. And that's a great study within itself as well. So I just wanted to give that to you to show you that in the Bible, there's, there are all these connections. Um, that, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the, to the next study where, you know, maybe I'll do a sermon. I don't know yet. Uh, it's going to be a few of them, though, on these connections in, in the Bible. Just connect, connect, connect. It's like it's, it's amazing. And it makes Bible studies um, a lot easier, and it gives us a really strong, firm foundation uh, in our relationship with Christ. So, time's up. Thank you for your time uh, this, this evening. We really appreciate it. Sorry I went a little faster, but I wanted to get through it. In a moment, we'll have a devotional. Uh, you'll be invited to uh, uh, surrender to Christ if you have not been baptized into Christ. If you're a child of God and you're struggling, we can pray with you, pray for you. That opportunity will be forwarded to you as well. If you're online, please contact us if there's anything we can do. Uh, for you. Thank you very much and God bless you.